Section 12 of G. K. Chesterton in Vanity Fair magazine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. G. K. Chesterton in Vanity Fair magazine by G. K. Chesterton. The Next Renaissance. Thoughts on the Structure of the Future. 12. The Mad Hatter and the Sane Householder Modern society is intrinsically insecure, because it is based on the notion that all men will do the same thing for different reasons. A virile and vigorous society should rather be based on the notion that all men will do different things for the same reason. It should be rather like a carnival to which people come in habits of every cut and color clad as crusaders or chinamen red indians or blue devils but all upon a common agreement to enjoy themselves or even perhaps to enjoy some positive and popular thing such as a patriotic anniversary or a church festival modern society so far from being like a carnival is much more like a funeral but it is most of all like a meeting at which everybody turns up in black but only because some think it is a funeral and some a financial meeting, and some a political conspiracy, and some the preliminary to a duel. It is as if they had all come in the right clothes to the wrong house. Modern men have all the same conventions and all different convictions, and that is the exact equivalent of doing one common thing for twenty contradictory reasons. We have made a brotherhood of hats without making the least attempt to have a brotherhood of heads yet it is obviously more desirable that the brains should work in a more brotherly fashion and having so worked they may quite legitimately signal their brotherly thoughts to each other in the shapes of the most varying and fantastic hats hats like pyramids and pagodas hats like the eiffel tower or the great wheel there is no harm in the mad hatter so long as he keeps his madness only for hats or to shift the metaphor from hats to houses consider the houses in a new street in the suburbs of one of our large towns all these towns are as like each other as a row of buttons on a coat or a row of uniforms in a regiment yet they have none of the common code of honor which may give a regiment unity which may make a uniform stand for something more than uniformity they are not numbered like soldiers but rather like convicts and as within the head of any convict may be the hell of a quite solitary crime, so in the house or under the hat of any suburban clerk may be the limbo of a quite separate philosophy. The first man may be a complete materialist and feel his own body as a horrible machine manufacturing his own mind. He may listen to his own thoughts as to the dull ticking of a clock. The man next door may be a Christian scientist, and regard his own body as something rather less substantial than his own shadow. He may come almost to regard his own arms and legs as delusions, like moving serpents in the dream of delirium tremens. The third man in the street may not be a Christian scientist, but on the contrary a Christian. He may live in a fairy tale, as his neighbors would say, a secret but solid fairy tale, full of the faces and presences of unearthly friends. The fourth man may be a theophysist, and only too probably a vegetarian, 
and I do not see why I should not gratify myself with the fancy that the fifth man is a devil-worshipper. Anyhow, nobody with any experience of the modern middle class, of which I am myself a particular and I hope harmless variety, will deny that the class contains by this time the most fundamental differences of faith and even fantasy. Each one of those houses may be as separate as a padded cell in an asylum, and each man may be as lonely as a lunatic. THE FOUR MEN AND THE LAMP POST Now, whether or no this sort of variety is valuable, it is clear that this sort of unity is shaky. To expect that all men for all time will go on thinking different things, and yet doing the same things, is a doubtful speculation. It is not founding society on a communion, or even on a convention, but rather on a coincidence. Four men may meet under the same lamp-post, one to paint it pea-green as part of a great municipal reform, one to read his breviary in the light of it, one to embrace it with accidental ardor in a fit of alcoholic enthusiasm, and the last merely because the pea-green post is a conspicuous point of rendezvous with his young lady. But to expect this to happen night after night for an interminable period is unwise. The lover may marry the lady and dispense with lamp-posts. The social reformer may pass on to paint the council hall, the cathedral, and all the other sites the same bright and pleasing color. The drunkard may happen to embrace a policeman instead of a post, and generally each traveler may go about his particular business, whether it is painting the town green or painting it red. Particular causes, as in the case of modern society, may bring these people together a fair number of times, but it is obvious that the nature of things does not tend to bring them together, but rather ultimately to drive them apart. The nature of things is tending ultimately to drive all the elements of our society apart. The Christian scientist will not desire a society in which the materialist next door can get him punished for not calling in a medical man for his family. The Christian will want his own cathedral, and may conceivably not want it painted green like the municipal lamp-post. What holds them together now is merely an accident, the accident that so far their creeds have not often clashed in practice. But the single case of Christian science is enough to show that there is danger of a clash, not to say a crash. The Materialism of Utopia In common with the happy mob of most of my fellow men, I am somewhat chilled by the description of utopias. This is not because they are too idealistic, but on the contrary, because they are much too materialistic. They are full of that fashionable notion which betrays so much the servile spirit of our social reform, the notion of giving good conditions for the living and laboring of men. It is the best comment on this phrase that it is the same which is used for pigs and cows. It is also worth noting that it is not used for men whose domesticity we connect with any kind of dignity. Those who gave Lambeth Palace to the Archbishop of Canterbury, or Fulham Palace to the Bishop of London, did not say in a sweeping fashion that they were creating good conditions for bishops. A nobleman recently gave a very beautiful country house to be the country seat of the Prime Ministers of England. But I am sure he did not say that he wished the class of Prime Ministers to work under clean and healthy conditions. 
it is part of a subconscious morality or rather immorality that regards workmen as slaves and slaves as beasts of burden and it is the familiar fault of utopias that they regard human happiness as static whereas the real human happiness is dynamic not to say dramatic if men are happy in utopia it will not be because there are good roads but because they meet somebody or something on the road unexpectedly if they are happy in their homes it will not be because of the conditions of the home but rather because of the crises of home because it is in the home that things really happen that children are born or couples betrothed for these reasons i have not cast these random suggestions about social renewal into the form of a utopia or any picture of a perfect state nevertheless it will be well to conclude for the sake of argument by conceiving a general state of things which should be the object of social effort and that state of things i imagine not as in most utopias more orderly in the sense of more uniform but more irregular in the sense of more varied than the present state of things the creed and the christmas i do not see why human equality should not be at least as varied as heraldry i do not see why every coat should not be at least as individual as a coat of arms every family so far as possible should have its own land or means of production and as it will grow what it likes cook what it likes and a very vital point brew and drink what it likes so there is no reason why it should not weave what it likes and wear what it likes there may even be a tendency to such superficial abuses of freedom as there is often in an aristocracy the aim of a peasantry is not so much to abolish squirearchy as to make all men squires and there are often a certain number of mad squires between these extremes however there would be every shade of humour and human variety and the home would become once more original by becoming once more an origin hospitality would gain a new meaning in the gift of novelty and have some of the advantages of travel the house would no longer be merely a box it would at least be a christmas box but if all this is true we can only return to the first truth that we cannot have a christmas box without christmas we can never have all this artistic variety until we have spiritual unity as the common theory of heraldry alone made possible the very colors of coats and shields at present we have the contrary condition of being externally similar and internally torn asunder and that spiritual unity will either never return or it will return with the return of the creed for which christmas stands it will come as a christmas box or it will not come at all end of section twelve end of g k chesterton in vanity fair magazine by g k chesterton